chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and we're going to go to 20. Let me find mine. All right. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly <clears throat> there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, you, uh, God, you are, uh, you're just so awesome and powerful, Lord, and, uh, Lord, you're just, you're faithful to speak to us when, uh, when we come to listen to you, Lord, and when we come to your word, uh, seeking you, Lord, you're just, you're nothing but faithful to us to speak to us and administer your truth to us, Lord, and we just thank you that we have your word to us, God, that we, um, that we get to be your children and we get to sit under your authority and teaching in our lives, Lord, um, that we might uh, use the things you minister to us to bring you more glory. Thanks. And I just uh, pray that for this passage tonight, Lord, that um, you would uh, minister and, and, and speak to us tonight through your word. And that we would just, uh, as we look into your word, we would find you. And we would find your gospel for us. <coughs> we just thank you for the way that you've painted this, this, awesome, uh, this awesome portrait of, of salvation for a broken, rebellious people throughout, uh, throughout all, of, all of Scripture, Lord. That you, that you built it and you engineered it to have Jesus in all of it. And I thank you for that, and I just pray that we find Jesus as we look into this passage tonight. We lift up this evening and all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so, uh, if you've ever celebrated Christmas, you have read this, I'm sure. And, uh, a couple, <laughs> I've always read it and always been... I've always been hammered with things about Mary. There's a ton of teaching on like Mary, you know, <laughs> linking from the last couple of weeks, really. But even just the point of like, 
you ponder these things in your heart and treasure them, and, and, and we focus on that a lot, and um, I'm not really going to tonight. I mean, Mary's awesome, but um, God sent an angel to these shepherds, and it's for a good reason, and uh, I think it's for a cool, it's, it's, I think it's awesome, um, and he just really, he really put out this, laid out this really cool picture of just the gospel, and Jesus is just showing up, um, but we get to see the effects of the gospel already in play. So, let's get into it. <clears throat> so, verse 8 just tells us the shepherds were there. So we're going to jump into verse 9. Um, these guys are watching their flock, and I didn't do a ton of research into shepherds. If you, there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting information about, about shepherds, like in this time and culture. They were pretty much like the screen printers of Bible <laughs> times. You didn't go to college and get a job and you landed in Shepherd. Thanks, Ken. I love you, Brian. <laughs> or the tow truck drivers or yeah. whatever, the door inspectors. This is the job that you got left with because you did not, uh, you did not manage to land anything better by chance or come up with any good skills in your life. <clears throat> and uh, they were pretty loathed and rejected. Um, you figure they're out watching these sheep all the time and they're committed to these animals um, and protecting them and they don't really ever leave them anywhere. So they're just out there all the time and they're by that nature probably stinky and dirty and grubby people that nobody really Cared a whole lot about or to be around. They missed um, the salvation. They missed the uh, all of the uh, sacrifices too. Correct. They, they were not able to be religious because they couldn't leave their animals. So they were essentially they're just unclean people. They're yeah. not. They're just like they're like they're not forgiven, right? Because they're not there to be part of that. They're also. I, I think I heard. I heard somewhere recently that they're actually. Um, they weren't even allowed. To, they weren't allowed to testify in court mm-hmm. either. They were just not. They were not considered valid, trustworthy people. Mm-hmm. So, that about shepherds. Um, just an interesting link to... And they live nomadically. Those are, yeah. They yeah. live nomadically, place to place. So, it's kind of interesting. Gypsy shepherds. Gypsy, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Anyways, so... Pressing up. <laughs> um, that's a, there's a really cool link to be made there, and people teach on it a lot. We're not going to tonight um, about the cool parallels of the humility of the people that God uses to bring Jesus in the world when you have Mary and and Zachariah and his priestly service and how perfectly lining up is that he would come to these shepherds. He doesn't show up at the high priest's house and say, Hey, you know, or the king, he just shows up to these shepherds and and that's you know that that also expresses the the, the, the breadth of the gospel, right? That salvation goes it has no bounds. It goes to everybody. So, that's cool. Um, In verse 9, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to them, but it says the glory of the Lord shone around him. It didn't say the glory of the angel. Um, So that tells me that the Lord, the Lord shows up. So, um, essentially, these angels are, God shows up, and I imagine they're looking at the angel because you probably can't look at God, right? So, 
they're looking at the angel, but the glory of God is there. God is God is present, and uh, and they become completely terrified. They're filled <laughs> with great fear, and the word I forgot to bring the Greek word with me, but it expresses like um, it sets them it set them to to flee. Like they want to get away from this presence. It's not like whoa, that's cr-. it's like we're gonna die. Let's get out of here. <clears throat> and um, this is. This is the transaction that really we pretty much see every time God shows up to people throughout Scripture. Um, when they when when people encounter the presence of the and the glory of God, they don't go, "Wow, I should respect this." It's, they, it's it's not a reverence. It's not a respect. They fear as though dying, as we see most prominently in. People like Isaiah and John says, I fell as a dead man, or I was un- I am undone. And um, I asked Nolan, because he just recently did an awesome teaching on the fear of the Lord, to talk a little bit about the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Go back, for it. Back to me. Um, basically, um, John gave me some um, resources, a video that we watched in our youth group Illuminate, and we talked a little bit about... Um, the fear of the Lord, and obviously, like Kent said, it's taught as, you know, you just need to understand it as a reverence or an awe. And Paul's looking at me because he's like, no. I think he already knows he went to Bible school. But it's actually, at least with the Hebrew translation, and he obviously looked in the Greek, it's talking about terror. You're supposed to get freaked out. Um, and there's a couple reasons. Number one, because you're an unholy being standing in the presence of the most holy being who exact justice, you know, upon anything that is unclean in his presence. Number two, um, whenever you see the fear of the Lord depicted, you don't get pictures of God as the humble, marginalized Galilean peasant, right? You get pictures of Jesus uh, post-resurrection, post-ascension, as having eyes with a flame of fire, laser beam vision, you know what I'm talking about, zapping you in the face, potentially. (laughs) That is very much a hyper... I'm going hyperbole right now. Um, But... The, the fact of the matter is that God is terrifying. He's holy. We are unholy. Furthermore, he's the supreme being. Like, there, we have every reason to fear the Lord. In um, the Psalms, it talks about we are to fear the Lord as a form of the beginning of wisdom, right? Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is that? Because if we have a right understanding of the supremacy of God, the greatest conceivable being, like, we, we should fear, like, and uh, one of the ways I talked about it in the youth group was like, if you're a little guy, like me, you know, and you see a big guy, Paul, you're not exactly going to walk up to that guy and be like, you know, you just expect grace from him. You know, you're going to you're gonna tremble a little bit like, ah, maybe I shouldn't pick a fight with this guy. You know, this is, or if you're, you know, you're, you're new, you're the newbie at the dojo, you're not going to pick a fight with Jet Li. Like, God is bigger than us. I mean, that's just the bottom line. <laughs> So, um, uh, and Francis Chan in that resource, um, during the video, gave this great description and depiction of a girl who was sitting in a room, and then water floods the room, and she can't breathe. He talked about the fear of the Lord, um, in essence, being this state of almost, you can't breathe, right? You can't breathe until God, every time, says, fear not, or an angel says, fear not. When the glory of the Lord is present... There's something suffocating about it because of our unholiness, our unworthiness, our creatureliness, um, the living, like the four, I think, living beings in Isaiah um, 6 are unable to, like, 
even show their creatureliness. They have three sets of wings and two of them are just covering like their feet. And that's because there's a creatureliness to beings that have been created. He's creator, um, but it is fear that we're supposed to feel. Not just light, fire, burning bush, <clears throat> etc. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and to be honest, that was something. Um, that's a that's a that's like a particular area of doctrine that I think I've had wrong for a long time, and I've just recently um, been like learning more about that particular mm-hmm. like the fear of the Lord, and I think I I've misunderstood it for a long time. That um, I, and 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 I I kind of this sounds worse, but. I like it better yeah. because you have the fear of God. But every time that this happens in Scripture, you see people and they're dying or think they're dying. It's just waiting. Like, it's there and there's no reaction. There's no time. There's no gap in between, like, no pause between, like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm gone. But but every time you see it, what the, the, the presence to be feared just says, fear not. So... It's just, it was kind of like a big deal to me to think like, he's essentially the greatest fear. There is no fear greater. There's nothing greater to fear than an almighty creator God. And when he shows up in front of you, there's nothing greater to be feared. And But he says, fear not. And, and it's followed by some kind of, you know, messenger blessing. He's not there to crush you. He's terrifying, but he's good for those that love and believe on him. <clears throat> and uh, so that's a fearful thing, but that's an awesome thing. Um, and then what? And then it's kind of like, well, what else is there? What else is there to fear after that? You serve the most terrifying, the most terrifying, whatever presence that there is. What else is there? So the angel shows up. The glory of God is there. God is God is hanging out there somewhere. Um, God's glory is described as a lot of cool things. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, the angel, the angel says, he says, "Behold, I bring you good news." These two words, the good, the good news. It's the same. I don't know, John. Can you help me? With, I don't know if they, good and news are the same word twice. But I don't know if they, if it's saying that they. The same word translates into two words, or they use the same word twice in the original. I have to look it up. I don't I'm know. not sure. In any case, but a lot of times, if they say two things back to back, it means that it's for emphasis and there's emotion involved in it. Like, um, so if he said it twice, it would be yeah. If he said it back deal. to back, it means this is a big deal. There's emotion there. And I gotta, I have to think that that's kind of what it maybe is because there's other words they could have used. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, they come in this, it's in the form of this word, good news, come, it's this Greek word, euangelizo. Uh, I'm not going to define it because it pretty much says that's the de- definition. It's good news. And, but here are some other ways that we have seen the same word throughout the New Testament. The good news preached, the gospel, the gospel preached, preach the gospel as, as phrases. So, do you guys get that picture yet? When he says good news. So, Jesus has arrived, and this guy says, I bring you good news, this angel. These dirty, lowly shepherds, 
He's just been born, so these guys are getting the first post-incarnate gospel message. They're the first people to be preached the gospel to after Jesus' birth, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> so this guy bursts through the sky. He's accompanied by God, the glory of God, and the presence of God. He's described, he's described in Scripture as a brilliant light, a cloud, a burning and consuming fire. Um, I got some scriptures that talk about it because I just like it. Uh, mostly because I was wondering, well, what did that appear? How did that appear to them? Um, in Exodus 16:10, as soon as Aaron spoke the whole con- to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And in 24:17, it says, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. On the top of the mountain, in the sight of the people of Israel, and then in forty, Exodus has a lot more here, God. In forty thirty four of Exodus, it says, "Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle." And in Revelation twenty one twenty three, and the city, the in the future in heaven, right? The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. That's kind of the one that I picture here, personally. But um, in Ezekiel one twenty-eight, it says, "Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain." That's a long way to say rainbow, but <laughs> so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And heard the voice of the one speaking. Which sounds really similar, interestingly, to John in, in Revelation as he sees it. He says the same kind of thing. So, the glory of the Lord. And I kind of see it, it's nighttime. I kind of see it as um, a light, like, became daytime. Turned into daytime. And then this angel's there and it's daytime. <laughs> that, I don't know, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. So... I don't think it was like a little picture window of God's glory, right? I mean, it, we see it fills the whole city of New Jerusalem. So it's, it, he is he is where the light emanates from. So if he's there, I'm thinking it's, it's everywhere. It's blowing up. <coughs> so <clears throat> that's the glory of the Lord there. Verse 11. <clears throat> we have, he says, it's going to be in the city of David. Uh, you're going to find, you're going to find this, a uh, savior who is Christ the Lord. So, in the city of David, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and this is foretold by the prophet Isaiah 700-ish years before Jesus is born in 714, of, chapter 714 of Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Um, and then also, I forgot to bookmark this. Dang. Turn to Micah. Two, five, two, three, four. Micah 5, chapter 5, yeah. Okay. Micah 5. Two, okay, you guys there? Five, yeah, we're going to start at verse 2 of chapter 5. It says, 
But you, oh, Bethlehem Ephratha. <laughs> I don't know that word, to be honest. I looked it up, but I don't know how to pronounce that. So, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. <clears throat> what am I reading? Two, three, yeah. Okay, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, uh, the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Part five, two. So, <clears throat> Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah says his name shall be called Emmanuel. This has been has been challenged before. Uh, I think it is pretty regularly. Somebody pops up and says, "Well, his name he wasn't called Emmanuel. He was called Jesus." So, um, which doesn't even you know it's not the same. Right? I understand that. So, uh, so. He's proclaimed to be this person from prophecy, but his name is called Jesus. But he's given these three titles, which I think link us back to Isaiah. Um, he's given the name Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's called Christ the Lord, but it's that's that's two separate things um, in one. Um, so he's called Savior, Christ, and Lord. John. Roll with the All right. Well, <clears throat> the first one, um, uh, Savior, is the word uh, soter. So it's kind of a similar um, uh, wording of it. A um, couple things I found in here um, that the word Savior and salvation in the Bible is always used for God's activity. It's a description of his activity. Um, throughout the Bible, we never see the word used for a person saving himself, but only God saving. And so the uh, Hebrew equivalent we see in Psalm 44, uh, we see it in Isaiah 43 and Jeremiah and also in Hosea. Uh, it's this idea of um, salvation coming from God. And when the Hebrew was translated into the Greek, we see the same word there. So we see there's a connection between that Old Testament word of saving and the New Testament <laughs> word. Um, Greeks at the time would use this word for divine salvation. They would use it for any time anything divine stepped in and saved something non-divine. Uh, Romans used it for uh, emperors from Nero's time on, and they would call their emperor their savior, and it was an honorary term, meaning they've delivered us, um, usually comparing themselves to like the barbarians or something like that. Um, in the New Testament, it's never used for a ruler. It's never used for a man. It is only used for God the Father and Jesus uh, his son, and we see it quite a bit throughout. Um, the term, the actual word soter, um, has a bit of a connotation that it's to, it, it, there's a, the kind of the way it's it's been understood is that there has to be a disaster first in order for there to be a salvation. Um, and so um, you would say, you know, the person in Hurricane Katrina who's sitting on the roof and the waters are rising, the person that swoops in, that would be their salvation, their savior. Um, the rescuer, the immense danger, you know, 
imminent danger. The train's bearing down on him. The person takes him off. You know, um, so that's the kind of the connotation throughout um, the New Testament um, for Jesus. And we see this. Um, you know, we see the save us. And what, what is he saving us from? We see in Matthew one twenty one, uh, saves us from our sins. Um, and so the uh, the picture we get is that the day the disaster is that we're in sin, and then Christ is the the one who jumps in front of the train to save us. Um, and so that's kind of the, what that word means, and it's soter. Um, now the word Christ, this is one of those words that's uh, transliterated, meaning that the Greek letters were just turned into English letters. The word is Christos, which sounds like Christ, because it is. Um, it means anointed. Um, and we think of anointed, we might think of, you know, dripping of oil or something like that. But that actually is a term that comes from the Old Testament, and it's the same word as Messiah. So when people say, Jesus Christ, they're saying, Jesus is the Messiah. And you can say, Bingo, you know, you, you believe that because, you know, they're using it more as a, uh, a swear, ter- swear word or something like that. But um, it is his title. It is Jesus's title. It's not his last name. Uh, Jesus would have probably been called Jesus Bar Joseph. Um, we don't ever see that, though, in the Bible. We see Jesus of Nazareth, uh, which also would mean that there probably were no other Jesus in the city of Nazareth. Nazareth would probably be a city of less than 100 people. So if they would have said, hey, Jesus, the guy from Nazareth, oh, yeah, there's only one from there. So they would have known that. Um, Christ is his title, um, and we see this uh, as being a real focal point um, in the Gospels and even past this because Christians don't call themselves Jesuits, meaning little Jesuses. They call themselves little Christ, which is what actually was a put down for Christians and saying, oh, you're a little Messiah, um, little point to the way, you know, and it became our name, and that's what we call ourselves. Unfortunately, a lot of people call themselves that who don't necessarily. Uh, follow that. Um, but the idea of the anointed one ties in solely with that Messiah. And that's the one that the, the Hebrews, the Jews are looking forward to. Um, ironically, I was listening to Timothy Keller, uh, a sermon on, uh, on Jesus. And he was talking about how the Jews still to this day have a phrase. And they basically, and I don't know the Hebrew and I would butcher it if I did, would be basically the Messiah's coming. So it's like, get ready, the Messiah's coming. And they're still waiting for that deliverer. Um, and Jesus has already come, and he is the Messiah, and he fulfilled all those uh, prophecies like we saw in Isaiah and in Micah and uh, so many more that it's just uh, it's unbelievable someone would believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Christ means Messiah, Savior means deliverer, salvation. And then the last one, the Lord, this is kind of a cool one. Uh, this is the word kurios, um, which is uh, basically the name you would give to somebody who was in authority over you. Now, this is the one that if anybody, we kind of talked about the whole Emmanuel thing. Now, this is a place where a lot of people will go, see, there's other places in the Bible where the word Lord is used. Um, almost Actually, every single time it's used, it's for someone in authority, um, and it's for someone who has property and has wealth, right? Well, Jesus never had any of that, but yet everybody calls him Lord. So what are they, what are they trying to say? Uh, well, in the New Testament, the word for God is always Lord. Um, sometimes they say Lord God, like Kyrios uh, Theos. Um, but when the Jews translated the Old Testament into Greek, they always referred to God in the Old Testament, not by Theos, because that's a word where we get the word theology from. Um, it means God, like little g God. They never, ever, ever translated Yahweh or Adonai or any of those other Old Testament words for God. They never translated them as God, Theos, because they didn't want people to think, oh, he's just one of many gods. So they translated him as the, like, you know, the, the capital T, Lord. And so throughout the New Testament, every single time they refer to Jesus, they do that same thing. 
the, capital T, Lord, as in there is a God and his name is Jesus. And so um, that throughout the, the New Testament, whenever they refer to Jesus as the Lord, they are proclaiming God in heaven, the, the Yahweh God, the, the one and only um, so there's not meant to be any doubt. Now, we read it in English and we go, well, they called this guy Lord, and they called that guy Lord, and Jesus is called Lord, and it's all the same word, but the way it was understood back then is like what Thomas says when he sees Jesus for the first time, and he says, my Lord and my God. There's no, my Lord, oh, my God. You know, he's not OMGing after the Lord. He's actually saying the Lord and the God. And so that's what those two mean. This is basically tying his, um, his Godness his purpose, and his fulfillment of prophecy, which ties back to Emmanuel. Indeed. So, especially in the last part, Lord, right? That, um, that he's, he's God. Right? So, he's not named Emmanuel, but he, he's not, but he is. He embodies Emmanuel. So, uh, he's called Jesus, but he literally, in his essence, was God with us. So, um, I find satisfaction in that. <laughs> that. That he's not named Emmanuel, but he is. In fact, you know, there's a lot of people named Emmanuel, actually. Um, and I would rather he be Emmanuel than be named Emmanuel. <clears throat> All right, so... It's really interesting that these, that these shepherds are... They're not religious people. So they're they're not really going to be people in the study of the scriptures and knowing really knowing what the the, the scripture says and, and maybe they have some understanding that there's that the Jewish religion you know at the time says there's this Messiah coming but they don't, probably don't know that much about him and yeah this angel shows up and then they just get up and go and and then they go to, and, and then they just do it and so it's cool man. That's getting ahead of myself too, but I just thought it was <laughs> So, in verse 13 and 14, we're going to see that um, we're, we're essentially seeing the gospel. <coughs> we're, seeing, we're seeing the gospel message unfold, and it leads to it leads to one thing on both parties. But uh, first, on the on the messenger, the bringer of the gospel, it leads to. Worship, and then we're going to see the the transformation of the gospel in these shepherds also leads to worship as they go on their way in obedience. So the 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 angel preaches the gospel to these shepherds, and then all these other angels show up, and the multitude it's it's like thousands and thousands of angels uh, appear there, and they're saying glory to God in the highest, and peace among those with whom He is pleased. What does that? No, what does that mean? I mean, they're probably not. In, they're not in like the midst of a battle. So, what is peace, um, as they say here? So, flip back really quick. I don't know if I remember to tell you to hold your place, but you don't even have to flip back. I'll just read it if you're not there. But back in Micah five, that was bad form, awesome. <laughs> I even wrote it in my notes. Put your keep your finger in Micah chapter five. <laughs> so. Uh, back in five, uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 4, which I already read also, I'm just going to read it again in the first part of 5. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, 
and he shall be their peace. So, <clears throat> what these guys are talking about is what Micah says here, the shepherd that's coming to dwell secure with his people and he'll be great to the ends of the earth. It's the peace of salvation, of, of, of eternity that we're offered through the gospel that this angel is delivering. Um, and, and, and then it is Jesus. So Jesus brought and he is our salvation. And this guy is saying, peace, here's the, here's the peace, he, peace to those with whom he is pleased. <clears throat> now, uh, so what he's getting at is that Jesus is our peace. And he's saying God is pleased with, them, with those whom he has called unto salvation. So this is not everybody. This is not all of humanity. Um, even though he says for all the people, it's really, it's, uh, that was used in, in, uh, in the language in terms of like, uh, in terms of like a, a, a group of people, not like a crowd of people, but like a type of people. In this case, we see it's those who have the salvation. Um, so it's it's only to those who have salvation, only those who have the salvation have the peace. And that loops back around to with whom he is pleased. <clears throat> so Romans 8, 8 says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And also in First Thessalonians in, in 4, 1, Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And I think the most critical one pertaining to this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, the peace is only for those who have and are given the salvation of the peace that just was born. <clears throat> so, and without it, you can't please God. So, God is pleased with whom he is pleased. Peace to those with whom he is pleased. Peace to those that see, that hear, and accept his salvation. You guys got anything yet? I'll just keep going, you buddy, when you want to, man. So, I'm going to move on to 15 and 16. We have, then, then these guys get to go, these guys go into action. So, the, the, the angels retreat back into, back into the heavens, and uh, comes nighttime again. And we're going to see these guys, they're hearing, we're going to see hearing, believing, obeying. So, which is which is just what we saw at the, for, the, the telling of the birth of Jesus in in Mary. Um, these guys are gonna the shepherds are gonna one they're gonna hear the word of the Lord. They're gonna two believe that that word is true, despite 
no knowledge of, or no other connection except that this angel and the glory of the Lord showed up, which is a big deal. And then three, they're going to act immediately in obedience with the word they were given. So these guys show up and they say, the Savior, Christ the Lord has been born. You're going to find him here. Now there isn't an implicit command, but but that is, well, there isn't a direct command, but that is an implicit command, right? You're going to find him, so... Go find him, um, and then they go and they go do it. So and uh, they just and they say, let's let's go to Bethlehem and see that the Lord has made this known. Let's go find him. Um, in sixteen, so they they've heard it, they believed it, they obeyed, they obeyed. In sixteen, G- Jesus and it's in it's in obedience. That was the key thing that stood out to me, just like it did when we talked about Mary. <clears throat> with the angel and, and as she goes to meet Elizabeth after that. It's on the path of obedience that Jesus meets the shepherds. So they get up and they go out. Now this is going to entail leaving their life, right? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they, I don't. Have you heard anything that says they took their whole flock with them to Bethlehem? So they, they're not religious. They don't take part in the sacrifice or anything, any religious ceremonies, because they can't leave their flock. They can't leave their sheep. They don't bathe because they can't leave their sheep to go take a bath. They're protecting their sheep all the time. That is their livelihood. Everything they do revolves around the sheep. And yet here, and that's, that's I mean, that, and, and so they willingly just take on that cultural rejection at that point, societal rejection. Yeah, that so when they showed up at the, in, in Bethlehem, it's like... <laughs> The usual suspects show up, right? You know? So anything has been stolen, anything goes missing, you know, anything bad happens while they're there. It's like, oh, there were shepherds there. It must have been them. I mean, it was just kind of right. a foregone conclusion. So um, they're they're risking a lot, not only leaving their sheep because it doesn't say they left any of them behind. I don't know who that person would have been. You draw the, the short straw. You have to watch all of them. Or <laughs> we're gonna you know, they show up and it's like they were gonna get ostracized. They were going to be looked down upon. They'd have been spit on. They, you know, it would have been like, you know, it would have been a bad thing. They're going to potentially lose their livelihood. Yeah. I mean, their sheep. And could maybe be, even their freedom. Their sheep could be lost, stolen, or eaten when they come back. Something popped in my mind. You know, with these shepherds, they probably didn't have the funds for them to be their sheep. They're watching the sheep. I'm guessing for somebody else. They were like cowboys. They weren't yeah. like, oh, hey, I've got this flock of you know forty thousand sheep. Now they're watching. You know, That'll be wealth. Right? Some, yeah, 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 some wealthy person's sheep. So in what they're doing, doing, yeah, they're leaving somebody else's business. So I'm sure that they were looking at all sorts of trouble from what John was saying right. going to town. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that could possibly be wrong is their fault. Mm-hmm. And then they're also leaving the sheep that you know. Jehoshaphat is going to be ticked about it, right? <laughs> they just left, you know, however many head of sheep went trotting off to, you know, Bethlehem to see a baby. That I heard an interesting <laughs> speculation recently, like um, what they, for all we know, they could have been, they could have been raising sheep for the priest for the priestly service. Yeah. They could have been raising the sheep that are to be sacrificed for the sins well, of everybody but them. Yeah, and no, and no matter what, no matter what, even if they weren't, and this is the part that I thought was, I, I probably heard the same thing you did. Um, even if they didn't, if they'd have had a pure spotless lamb, they still would have said, oops, pure spotless one, let's find a priest and sell it to him, or let's find a rich person right, and sell right. it to him. So even if they weren't um, sitting back and making only the lambs for the, 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 the services at the temple in Jerusalem, which is a little ways away, 
they still, a good lamb, they would take good care of a pure spotless lamb because someone could take that with them to, uh, to Jerusalem. So they are watching some, but they could have been watching all. That's the cool kind of thing. It's interesting. I, I think what it, what that does for me is that ties it into um, the concept of these guys receiving the gospel. So we don't just see the receiving and believing of the gospel. We see the transformation of a life. There's absolutely zero reasons, zero reasons, that historically that they would have ever left those sheep. And yet the gospel comes, and they hear it, they believe it, and in obedience to it, they're like... What, what is this life if, if the Lord is over here? I'm going, right? And what is our life? What is my life that I hold so valuable? What is everything, not my being life, but every, everything around me, my things around my existence um, that sometimes we hold too much value on in place of, of the Lord, right? What is this life and everything that we're supposed to be striving for that we're told that we need to seek after. What is all of that if the gospel comes and transforms you? Bail on it. Because Jesus has a call for you and something and and and, and, and that is to bring glory to him, not glory to your sheep. You know, encounters with the gospel, encounters with Christ always change. And I think, you know, you can look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a great example of that. Yet there's the pre gospel Paul and there's the post gospel Paul. You know, I mean, even our even our calendars are broken down in the pre-Christ, you know, sort of post-Christ because we have the 33 years. But you get the general idea that our calendars are broken down. Our lives are that way, too. If our life prior to Christ coming in is exactly the same after Christ came in, Christ never came in. I mean, that that's what it comes down yeah. to. And these shepherds were different. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, even Old Testament when they encounter God, encounter God you know, Moses glowed. He was radiant. Yep. In the New Testament, you know. Uh, they encounter the risen Christ, and they're standing in front of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin saying, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, he, they said worse stuff than Jesus did. Yeah. And they're standing there because they've been changed, and there's a difference about them. And so, um, you know, for me, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I kind of always knew Christ. You know, I, I kind of always knew that because I grew up in the church, and oh, I, you know, was praying to ask him in my heart when I was five. But was there ever a period where I... I felt that, and, you know, I can look at that now and say, well, th this moment in my life, I know from that part on, you know, I've, I've lived that. Um, even, you know, every single day, you know, is today, am I living for Christ compared to yesterday? Yeah. Is there that growth? And that growth that we see is the evidence that we're saved. And we see that in these, these, these brand new baby disciples, and they give up everything to go and find the baby, you know? Yep. Which is kind of a cool parallel between that and Jesus calling Peter. You know, yeah. Put down your nets and let's go. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like disciples. a you know, like a third leg there. Yeah. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. it's interesting because like that count doesn't. I don't want to get into a doctrinal argument here, but it kind of delves into some Calvinism issues. But when you when you look at that, you don't really. It's almost like you don't really see a choice being made. They're not like. This guy just walked up and he wants me to leave my livelihood. And there's no internal deliberation. Yeah, just, there's nothing. He just says, oh, okay. he says go Let's follow go. me, and he just goes. <laughs> and then the same with the, with the other brother. They leave their dad, right? Yeah. And, and they're just like, well, <coughs> I gotta go, dad. <laughs> Gee, you didn't ask, like, hey, you guys want to come with? It's like, come follow me, and then, okay. Get yeah, up. and you notice there's a lack of hesitation. There's even 
a lack of hesitation because they they they're late. Hey, let's go. Yeah, immediately. I think it's even harder for for the the shepherds because look at what it says. Yeah, you're gonna find a baby who's gonna save you. I mean, it, it, just, it just makes you wonder, you know, are they like walking in it? Did he really say baby? Do we hear that right? You know, because it's one thing when Jesus walks up because they're expecting a army, you know, the Messiah, because there's these two bents of the, the, basically the Jewish culture came down to there's a Messiah coming. He's going to free us all. And then they kind of split them up and said, well, maybe there'll be a spiritual and a physical Messiah. Now they were totally right that they're both and they missed it, but you know, so seeing Jesus, they'd be like, oh, cool, he's here, you know. And I think Peter was worked on by the Holy Spirit prior to and at that moment. But these guys, yeah, they're, more told, dramatic. they're told there's a baby and it's going to save you. I mean, even in their minds, they're like, I mean, are they expecting the little dancing baby, you know, and having yeah. you know, a sword in one hand and a body, you know. But they're seeing a swaddled baby. I mean, this is a newborn, and they're going to that newborn, and they're saying, this is who's going to save us. In a major. They don't even, they can't even, like... It's not even like, I don't know, for me, I would have been like, okay, how long do we have to wait? You know, he's going to walk in maybe a year if we're lucky. He'll say some words and maybe two, you know, what's, how are we going to get to that? Do you ever wonder if the animals were like eating the hay? (laughs) (laughs) They're like licking Jesus' hair. I don't think they're Well, I had a different perspective on that same exact topic. I I was, I noticed, and maybe this will just, you know, because you both grew up in the church, and then I didn't grow up in the church. So what? maybe that's, that you'll identify what I'm saying here in a second. When I saw the shepherds, I saw these guys that are truckers, blue collar, you know, they're not welcome at church. They haven't seen a bar of soap in a long time, let alone, you know, the church culture, then probably more the synagogue culture. But these guys are outcasts, outlaws, dudes with full sleeves, crossbone, you know, tattoos, right? That's that's the guys we're dealing with, but not the ones that are cool and play guitar at the church. We're talking about the kinds that, you know, I work with, those guys. And so, here's these guys. They believe, like, I'm just guessing an a messenger from the Lord, and then Shekinah glory, boom, like, in your face. I'm thinking, okay, this is divine. And so they get so filled with fear. You hear about filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a whole totalitarian takeover over your physical uh, existence. You're being, you're like sweating pits going crazy. And, and here they are trembling. So I'm guessing they believe this is a divine experience. Maybe I was putting myself in their shoes. It's judgment time. And I've been sending my oh. brains out. Maybe, you know, I'm thinking, well, is, now I'm going to get roasted like a hog. But then the angel says, fear not. Like, they, know, they perceive these men are terrified. We're angelic beings. We need to calm them down. And then the good news is, listen, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And I'm get, I don't know, whatever, I don't speak Greek, but pleased? Who are they pleased with? Who's God pleased with? Not me. I got a full sleeve and I'm a junkie. You know, shepherd. And, and then they're like, with whom God is pleased? Mm-hmm. Me? That's the gospel message. That's the scandal, right? Yep. Like, this is profane almost, you know, borderline offensive that these shepherds would be accepted before God. And so then I'm guessing their first thoughts are like, prove it, you know, prove it. And because he says, fear not, I bring you good news. They're like, what's that? You know, peace to you. Prove it. And so what he's saying, here's the proof. I promise the Messiah who's come He's come, he's going to love somebody as messed up as you. And the proof is he, you know, he didn't come, you know, he's not chilling out at the, you know, 
the Hilton, by the Sea of Galilee, you know, by the pool. Like, that's what I'd expect the Messiah to be, where I'd expect him to book his stay. But instead, they're saying, look, the Messiah is in swaddling cloths. Mm-hmm. This isn't a ruler. This isn't a warrior. <clears throat> this is, God's come all the way down to you. And he's, he's being, he even says where he's going to be. He's going to be lying in a manger, in a, sw- in a, in a feeding trough. So to me, that's like, oh, there really is, pe- like, the Messiah's come humbly. Yeah. It so, goes back to Mary's song. He looks on the humble estate of his servant, right? And he, they, he comes in humility to to those that, are, that live in humility. Well, he even yeah. says, this will be a sign for you. Right. What is this? What do they need a sign for? They don't know the scriptures, more than likely. Right. The sign is, I promise the Messiah's not going to bust your chops. Like, I promise the Messiah is coming humbly, and then boom, holy word, manger. And he went somewhere where they could go, and they would feel comfortable going. He didn't yeah. go, it wasn't, hey, Jesus is a baby, he's go, at the temple. Go knock on the you know, Go knock on the palace. Go see Herod, you know? And it's like, he's in a manger, and they're like, okay, we can, we can do this, you know? We get manger, we animals, we can, we can understand that. Yes. You know, it wasn't even the inn, because think about it, they would have gone to the inn, and been like, <laughs> knock, knock, hey, can we come in, we're looking for a baby, and they're going to be like, all right, let's call the magistrates because yeah. you're going to kidnap babies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but instead, it's they went to a manger. A manger. So, a steep. And yeah. that's really what God did for us, right? He yeah. came down to earth. He didn't go flying across the sky and we have to, okay, we have to believe in him. Or, you know, he didn't appear on some cooler planet or something. He came here in the muck and the grind. Yeah. To get all of us, to get the truckers, to get the people that've been in church, the people that yeah. have money, the people that don't—it's just—it's so. It wasn't the urn of the thumbing from the holy man of yes, God. That's right. <laughs> One cool thing I want to point out—it's it's a little more than cool, actually. It makes me a little bit jealous, but uh, we've established that from the three titles, right, that the angel gives to this baby, Jesus is God. Okay, so these shepherds show up. They, do, they were just encountered by the glory of God, right, from heaven, right, in his, his glory. And then they show up and see that glory now clothed in flesh. So, dude, the shepherds mm. saw the face of God in Jesus Christ. And they're, they're, these, are the only, these are the only people that are going to encounter Jesus. The people, those that were going to encounter Jesus in his life have this really cool brief window in time of people that got to look upon the face of the Lord and live. <clears throat> and, uh, I don't know, that's pretty cool, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and this, here, we see that, that the fact that they can even do this, that they're looking upon the face of God and they're alive, this is the first, this is the first step that God takes in removing the separation of sin between Him and between sinful man and the holy God. He became 100% like us um, so that we could be in his presence without fear and without dying. Or just having the instant condemnation. Because you have to think that if God can't be in the presence of sin, if you somehow, you can't be, but if you, because the, the implications of if you landed in the presence of God in your sinful state is... The, is the condemnation is upon you, and then they get to be here without that fear of that condemnation. And yet, Jesus remains his his holiness. He retains his holiness. Okay. So, in seventeen and nineteen, so they come, they meet Jesus, they meet the face of God, 
And here, so now they've heard, they've heard the gospel, they've believed the gospel, they've obeyed the gospel command that was given to them. And then they go, and then the full cycle of the gospel is made here. Now they're, oh, here it is, the gospel. He's here. This guy, this little dude is the good news um, of our salvation. So they hear the gospel, they receive the gospel, they share it when they get there. That was totally anticlimactic. I read too. So they get there, they meet Jesus, and then what do they do is they, now they've encountered Jesus. He's transformed their life to the point that they're willing to abandon their life to go find him. And they, first thing they do is they make known what was said to them. So they share, they share the gospel with other people. God has so changed my life, I abandoned the person I used to be living in darkness. Literally, they were sitting in the hill on the, in the night, right? Uh, he so transformed my life that the first thing that, I, that happens when I come to other people and, and, and Jesus is there is that I'm going to tell other people. And uh, and so and that's that's exactly what they do. Um, so it's come totally full circle from where we first witnessed the angels deliver the gospel, and I think you know it had to be an angel because nobody no there was nobody else yet right Jesus can't talk yet so there's nobody else so a messenger of the Lord comes and starts the chain of events delivers the gospel to the lowly shepherds. And it just continues to... They deliver the gospel, and then they worship in delivering the gospel message. And then these guys are receive the gospel and changed, and they go, and upon encountering the fullness of that gospel, they share it with other people. So, <clears throat> there's only one thing in that, that cycle that really remains, and I'm not going to... Sorry, I made you get that out. I'm not going to draw this on the whiteboard. <laughs> for time's sake. Um, but... We've essentially, we've, we've made and seen a cycle in this passage. So the gospel's preached, it leads to the worship on the, part, uh, on the part of the preacher. So you sharing the gospel with other people is an act of worship. You, mm-hmm. spread, you spreading the gospel to others is an act of worship. You're glorifying, you're glorifying the Lord by giving his gospel of salvation to other people that they might come into his kingdom as well. So, when this leads, when you preach the gospel, people may take a long time. People eventually, somebody might receive it from as you preach it, right? Um, and then their life is going to be transformed and renewed as they hear it, believe it, obey it. Their life is going to be completely changed, as John said, if they truly did. Um, this is, leads to a, now a gospel obedience. We live our lives in o- obedience to God's commands, um, and then. That obedience, part of that obedience, as we see throughout all of the rest of New Testament post uh, synoptics, is go out and preach the gospel as it was brought to you. So somebody brought the gospel to me. It totally, God used that person to totally change my life uh, in my obedience to God's word. I go out and tell other people, um, and then that's an act of worship on my part. Like I'm worshiping the Lord because I go out and say, "Dude." You need to know Jesus, and when somebody receives that, it's a, uh, it's a really, if you don't, if you're not sharing the gospel with people, you're really missing out. And sometimes it's really few and far between that anybody even reacts to it at all, or doesn't want to throw rocks and food at you. But when somebody does, um, 
just reacting to the gospel as you tell it to people, it's a really incredible, um, it's a really incredible, I don't know, just, not just a feeling, but uh, spiritually it's, it's fulfilling. Like in your relationship with God, even if they don't receive it, even if they don't accept it, um, you walk away like, man, I'm, I just, even those guys, those guys didn't accept it, but I just used part of my little piddly sinful life to bring glory <laughs> to the Father. And uh, so it's a really cool experience to just go out, even in, even if you're afraid of people, and share the gospel with people that you work with, that you live with, or that you just encounter and God puts that word in your heart to say talk to this person so that also not only is that worship that leads to worship you do that and you experience this fullness of sharing the gospel with others and it's like God you're doing something in my life and that is awesome and that's what the angels do back there glory to God in the highest we've delivered this message glory to God so it leads to worship um, and, it, and that just goes around for for all of our life on earth, for all of the earth's life. So um, from from these shepherds, and I, I'm, I'm like a paragraph and done, so I'll just finish and see if you guys have cool stuff to say. From these shepherds, we conclude that there's <clears throat> two things that should be present in us if the gospel is truly in us. <coughs> And it's, it's critical that you hear this and then examine yourself. Mm-hmm. There's two things. <clears throat> if the gospel is truly in you, so you're, you're, you're telling yourself that you're at or past the point of believing. So you've heard it, you've believed it and received it. From there, you have obedience to his word. Okay? If you've received the gospel, you should be living in obedience to his word. And second is worship to him that brought the salvation that you did not deserve at all, that these lowly shepherds did nothing. These are just dirty, grubby dudes as as we are. So obedience and worship. So this leads me to essentially just a challenge by way of application um, to examine your own faith for these two things. If the gospel has truly transformed you, which is what most of us that go to church are pretty much saying by showing up at church, we're saying, I've, my life is different because I go to church. Otherwise, why would I be at church? And uh, you should be compelled to do two things. Share the saving gospel with others that they can also come to faith by hearing. And how will they hear if no one tells them? Can you open to Ephesians 2? Sure. Please. Uh, Romans chapter 10. I'm just going to read it real quick. I can find it. Romans 10.14 says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So, And it goes on to talk about, who's, well, who's going to preach? So that's us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um they have to hear it and then receive it, and then that entails us delivering. So that's the obedience. Second is to worship in response to God's great love and mercy, which is the driving cause, the only driving cause behind the gospel. 
Okay? He only <laughs> he only saves us because of his great love and mercy. You got that? Yeah, all ten. Two no well uh, yeah, one through ten. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the obedience in the former, the former thing that should be present in you is not, is not the saving function there. It is the byproduct of the latter. It's the by, not the latter of the worship. It's the byproduct of the salvation. Both of these things are not in themselves bringing salvation. So when it says obedience, that is not uh, a call to salvation by religiosity and attending church and being good and moral and not drinking and not smoking pot and not having sex before you're married and all the other things that all good things people do in their context. Right. Uh, <laughs> Except smoking pot. Except smoking pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, no condone context. <laughs> We're not doing those things. Those good things. There are th- correct. Anyways. Is that these these are the byproducts. So you don't do these in order to make yourself saved to yourself. What you would really be doing than to make yourself appear saved to others is what it amounts to. So if the gospel is in you, and if the gospel has changed you and changed your life, your purpose is to glorify God with your life. And these are the things you do that with, is bringing it to others and worshiping Him. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? That was kind of straight through, huh? Good. I have a thought. Yes. Um, so... I've been writing Psalm 119 yes. lately. That's good. Um, <laughs> and uh, obviously it's all about like God's law and following it and whatnot. Um, but uh, verse 54 says, Your statutes, statutes um, have been my song. <sighs> and uh, a part of that is also, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, <coughs> not to covetousness. Um, sorry. Uh, so, God calls us to live out His testimony. Not live out, but <coughs> to... <coughs> yeah. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Mm-hmm. Like, His testimonies need to be my song. And to me, like, my song is like my state of being like when I have a song in my head it's oh I'm happy so I'm singing 
whatever right now and like this is my song you know right. like this is the song of my life right now is whatever it is maybe like my song is what's on my heart and my mind and like that's what I'm expressing to others is the song that's in me <clears throat> and so um, the fact that he says your statutes have been my song mm. our songs I guess is um, what I've been learning a lot out of that is that like we need to live a life of God's testimonies. Like our life needs to naturally be his testimonies mm -hmm. because he's shown you things and you need to express them like mm -hmm. just naturally. It doesn't need to be, I need to go pinpoint this person, talk to them, pin them down, share the gospel. <laughs> no, it's like <laughs> that needs to be life. your natural life. Like yeah. every day God's law and his love and what he brought you through and the things that he's done in your life the things that he's done, not the things that you've done, that you've been pulled out of, the things that he's done in your life, yeah. need to be what's exuded, or whatever yeah. word is right, I don't know, but like, it, that needs to be what you're expressing, is God's glory, not, oh, I did this horrible thing, have pity on me, but God brought me out of it, no, God brought me out of this, and look at what he's done in my life, through his glory and his love, and like, my little children do not love in word or in tongue, but in truth and in deed. Like, love and truth indeed. And God shows us truth and does crazy things for us, so we should be expressing truth yeah. and expressing deeds. Yeah, like we should naturally. be building who we are around what God has done for us so that it exemplifies, so that our life, right? Like, if you yeah. think of yourself as a house, your house should look awesome for the Lord and then that, and there should be glory coming out of it you know and Ecclesiastes 10 says for slack for Slackness. slackness of hand yeah the 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 house the roof leaks and 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 from idleness of hand the slackness the mm -hmm. roof caves in and from idleness of hand the the the, the house caves in or the roof leaks and uh, and if we're not doing that who's gonna look at that house yeah. and think I had to go, oh, I gotta, I gotta go in there. What's this? I had to check it out. And, um, but when, and that's kind of like these. That's kind of like these shepherds, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, then they're transformed, right? And it's like that glory should be emanating from you, not bright light all around. No. But God's glory should be going out <coughs> people by simply your Natural living, life. You know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. not your intentional. I'm going to share Jesus. Yeah. It's your... It's interesting. What else to do? You, I can't do that, anything yeah. else but this. You will find that it convicts people yeah. just by being around them if they know you a little bit. Like mm -hmm. um, when, you're, when you're at work, if you're walking in the gospel and that's your life and it's your testimony and it plays out in, in your work ethic and who you are mm -hmm. um, at at work and with other people, you'll find like uh, you're not one of those people that shows condemnation for for foul language, for profanity, right? Like every time somebody swears at work, I'm not like, dude, come on, like be civil, right? I'm not, I don't condemn people for for using foul language, and yet you be at work and without ever saying a single word, mm -hmm. people will apologize to you when they swear in mm -hmm. your presence, mm -hmm. and they'll be like, oh, this, is, and they'll go, oh, sorry, dude. And and now you never said anything. It's just it convicts. It just that conviction lands on them <laughs> by your lifestyle, and and that plays in other things too. They don't want to talk to you about how drunk they got over the weekend and yeah. who they were with, and you know, because that guy lives a different life, and I don't get it. But I know that it doesn't make me feel good about the things that I do. 
Well, conversely with that, I mean, not only do they not, you know, they, they, they react differently, but they, they also react in a positive way. For instance, um, earlier this week, a guy that I worked with, for whatever reason, passed out on his bike, cruising home, oh, fell over, punctured lung and all this oh, stuff. Well, his roommate works right next to me most of the time. And uh, I was in my little flat work room as a dirty screen printer. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I had something, and he comes in, he's like at the verge of tears. I'm going, dude, what's up? He's like, oh, Jason. Anyway, he's totally choked up. And the thing is, they hate each other, but they're roommates. He's like, oh, I, uh, he, you know, somehow somebody hit him on his bike or something like that. And it turns out he just passed out. But anyway, you know, he's like, you went over the bars. He's got a punctured lung. He might die, all this stuff. And, like, he, I'm like, well, can I pray for him? And, like, this guy had butt heads all the time. He's like, yeah, would you please? And it was just like that <laughs> opportunity to illustrate through, you know, what he's known me for the last three years he's worked there. Yeah. You know, kind of led that opportunity to, you know, it's not like I'm some pillar of spirituality, <laughs> but it's like the opportunity to, to, that, you know, he knows where I'm at. He gave me the opportunity to do that. Yeah. You know, and you I, gotta take it. Well, right, and you know, because the the information that he had at that time was that he got hit by a car, he had a punctured lung, he was in horrible shape, he had no idea what happened, he was just laying there on the street. Lady came up, nearly hit him, saw him, and turns out, nope, he dehydrated or something, rubber spars, <clears throat> punctured lung, yes, but it could have been so much worse. Mm -hmm. And for him, he was kind of contrast going, wow, you know, thought this happened, that didn't happen, you know. But, you know, somebody allowing us as believers the opportunity to not just go, oh, sorry, I dropped an F-bomb. You know, no, that's, that's part of it. But it's also when they, they turn to us as yeah. what God's intended us to be and said, you know, they, they as unbelievers go, you got something, I need uh, that. Because it affects everything about your life. Exactly. The conviction is there, but the... But the, the, the peace in trial is there. Right. You and, know? you know, if, if you truly believe it permeates, yep. how, you know, like you said, work ethic, all those things. But it also, you know, in how you deal with situations, how you deal with problems rather than, you know, you know, throwing a raging fit that, you know, another bicyclist hit my motor. You know, <laughs> lose your mind over that. No, it's, That's cool. it's going, okay, well, you know, here's this opportunity. Let's treat it this way. And, you know, letting a... a you know, person that you know, but you don't always like, pray for you. That's kind of, you know, it was a, a certain element of something he did and what God's done with me kind of meeting head to head. Mm -hmm. And something that's real similar happened to me. Yeah. Uh, my uh, buddy, little Matt, his girlfriend's pregnant or whatever. They're, they're like, oh, they're in the hospital. And you just text me, dude, you got to pray for her right now. Like, that's all I got, a text message. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Just because in the hospital, you got to pray for her right now. Right now. <coughs> it's the natural reaction. Yeah. When tragedy or something super concerning strikes, what do people say? Pray. Even complete, yeah, completely. But they ask you to pray for them. Yeah, complete yeah. rebellion of God in your daily life. You, they will turn and say, Lord, help you know. And, and if there's people around you that exemplify that, they'll... They will turn to that too. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's pray. We can talk about this more. The other room. <clears throat> Father, to uh, 
God, to even be able to understand and comprehend your love for us, Lord, is, uh, I mean, we say it, Lord, but it's so far above us to think that we, um, we just have hated you, and we've been your enemy, and we've rebelled against you, and, um, neglected everything you've put in our care, um, as a, as a people, Lord, and yet, um, you and you loved us and, and for nothing more than your love for us you delivered mercy to us Lord and grace upon us and in the form of salvation through your only son Lord, that you just sent to the earth as a, the, the most vulnerable form of, of humanity a baby Lord and uh, he was going to grow up and, and live a life that's filled with your spirit and power Lord and uh, but it's going to be a life and a human existence um, that he can know and empathize with what we do and go through. And then he's going to go through so much more in order to bring us into uh, a right relationship with you. Because we can't do it on our own, God. And without you, Lord, we will be completely lost and gone and condemned and, and, and ultimately destroyed, Father. Uh, we just thank you that you came to these shepherds, Lord. Thank you that you arrived at the most humble people with the gospel of salvation, Lord, so that it can be known that there is nobody that you cannot reach, that your arm cannot save. There is no hole too deep, no, no place too dark, no sin too bad that you can't reach down and save broken sinners, Lord and bring us into a relationship with you and lead us in a life that brings glory to you, which is our designed, intended purpose that you had in creating us, that we would bring glory to you who made us. I pray that we would go out from this place, Father, and do that. That all our <coughs> lives would just be a means to your glorious end. We, we just we love you, Father, and we just thank you for your faithfulness. That you have ministered here to us tonight, and I, as I believe you have, and we go out and, and take your word and, and, as Mary did, treasure that in our hearts, or ponder it and apply it in our lives that we might live for you. Mm-hmm. And it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.